Hey, Sherpa Network. Today we're joined by Rand Fishkin for our Founders Series. Rand is founder of Moz.com, SparkToro.com, and most recently, author of Lost and Founder. Rand is considered one of the top experts in the world on SEO, and today he talks with us about domains and SEO, the convergence. You need to hear every minute it gets better and better. Coming up next, enjoy. First, serious about online trading? Secure your funds, keep your merchandise safe, and use a company that keeps the buyer and seller protected the whole way through. That's escrow.com. Payments you can trust. Finally, if you're a domain name investor, don't you have unique legal needs that require domain name technical know-how and industry experience? That's why you need Stephen Lieberman of Greenberg and Lieberman or Jason Schaefer of Esquire.com. Go search for Jason Schaefer or Stephen Lieberman on Domain Sherpa, watch their interviews, and you can see for yourself that they can clearly explain issues, can help you with buy-sell agreements, deal with website content issues and UDRP actions, and even help you write your website terms and conditions. Stephen Lieberman and Jason Schaefer are the lawyers to call for internet legal issues. See for yourself at Esquire.com or APlegal.com. Let's get started. Um, One of the core questions in our industry, the domain industry, is how domains affect SEO or how domains affect marketing. And most marketing these days are done via SEO. Um, You know, as long as I've been in the domain industry, one of the leading questions has been, do domains impact your SEO or your marketing value? Um, today, we have one of the world's leading SEO experts, uh, Rand Fishkin, here to discuss exactly these questions. Uh, welcome, Rand. Thanks for coming. Tess, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's Thanks a pleasure. For coming on, and Drew, we're delighted to have you as well. Um, I know as founder of Media Options, you so often assist startups in their domain name search, and um, that's what we're here to get some serious advice from Rand about. So, welcome. Thank you. Um, So, Rand, I I doubt you need any introduction. Um, I got like a 30-second blurb on you. Um, Oh, okay. Well, you can read 15 seconds of it. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Founder of Moz.com. Uh, You call yourself the software firm, which, you know, I just think is interesting. This isn't 15 seconds, Um, you know, because you're building software for marketers and um, SEO um, and you're still in Seattle. Uh, Your newest company, SparkToro.com, also a marketing firm. Um, And uh, what caught me the most that I don't often hear in introductions Rand is transparency, transparency everywhere. Even your favorite charity, givedirectly.com. I checked it out. I have never seen a charity like that. Uh, you want to say something for a minute? Yeah, sure. So I, um, you know, I do a lot of uh, speaking and a lot of events and stuff for all sorts of folks. And I always ask for a donation to be made to give directly. What I love about them is um, they have this very contrarian sort of view of, uh, of how to make a charity work. They basically give money directly to poor people with no strings attached. Uh, they do follow up and sort of watch how that money is used and then statistically record it, but they have no restrictions. If you want to go, you know, to 
your whatever your dealer and, and buy marijuana great if you want to go to the store and buy ice cream fine if you want to invest in renovating your house or in your child's education great and it's almost always those latter two people that people put money into when they're poor and i love the fact that no one believes that's the case people think right people have this this foolish whatever hateful prejudice that oh poor people waste their money when in fact something like 99% of them use it extremely wisely, right? Yeah. And, and invest in things that- They don't have money to waste. They don't have money to waste. And when they exactly. get extra money, they put it to vastly better use than, than probably you or I. Yes. So it, it's really exciting to see. I love, I love the company. And they're very transparent with their statistics about, you know, well, here's how much was spent on this and this and this. So um, yeah, I'm kind of honored that I get to do things like this and then, you know, uh, and do events and, and give directly, gets all this money, and then it goes straight to people who use it more wisely than I do on my, um, you know, uh, $15 vegan scoop of ice cream, because <laughs> Seattle's prices are insane. Well, I brought it up for a reason, Rand, because I think it really reflects who you are. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, the trust, the dignity that it gives someone to say, I trust you to make a decision how you'll spend this money, and the transparency of seeing, um, I mean, I just went on the website and, and it's got like the latest thing that says, hey, I just got your money, I bought a new goat. Um, you know, there, I did not notice any that said I spent it on marijuana. They all seemed like pretty darn useful. Uh, well, I don't know. You yeah. I, well, so this is the thing, they have not yet started a program in Seattle. When they do, then there'll be lots of marijuana related spending. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, just a quick surprise. This wasn't a plug for Give Directly, but um, Lost and Founder, fantastic oh. book. And oh, uh, first, our first uh, person in the Sherpa Network to comment that they've made a donation to givedirectly.com will receive oh. a copy of this book. So oh. I thought awesome. you would like that. I've made I a history of um, generous donations from our viewers to uh, charities. So, Everybody who submits domain names to be reviewed on the show has to make a, a donation to the Fred, uh, Fred Hudge, uh, Hutch uh, Cancer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, well, I love that. And I really appreciate that, uh, that you folks are, are doing that. I think that's wonderful. Thanks, Rand. So um, why do we have you on our show, right? Because um, you've been on like every show. Um, but I think um, this is what it comes down to. I think we have a real connection. Um, I read this Forbes article, if I may quote, in November of 2004, after much internal wrangling, wrangling face, um, Fishkin <laughs> decided to open the virtual doors to a blog called SEO Moz out of sheer frustration with the, quote, opaque secretive world of SEO and the lack of knowledge available on the web back in the early 2000s. Domain Sherpa is the exact same thing for domain names, domain name investment, domain name choices. It is so opaque. Um, mostly um, deals are done in, in um, very private settings and there's very little um, openness um, about how deals get done or why um, corporations make the choices they make. And that's why Domain Sherpa exists for the exact same um, transparency, education, growth of an ecosystem. So, um, so I'm glad that we have that in common. Um, yeah. So, um, so your book, uh, Lost and Founder, fantastic book. What I really like your approach, and it's funny because you say you're not a millennial, but you look like one. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of you. You can't see all the white in the beard, but um, 
I no, shaved my way off. I barely missed the cutoff. I'm I'm Carter administration, not Reagan. So <laughs> who? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I really like the beginning of your book. You say um, that um, being an entrepreneur is like getting a new video game, and you die in round one. Like no one expects not to die in round one. No one thinks they suck because they died in round one. And what do you do? You get the cheats and you talk with friends. Do the same with entrepreneurship. Um, you know, um, I think that's why you specialize in tools that grow marketing, right? Um, you're, you're sharing the cheats. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about the convergence of domain name search um, or the domain name choice with marketing and uh, some SEO questions, of course, sprinkled in. Um, so in your book, um, now talk about jumping to the sheets, right? At the very end of the book, you say that the afterward, right? Is like, what are the cheats for next time? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, maybe I skipped and read that first and then I read everything else. That, that, that actually works perfectly. I think that's smart. <laughs> Thank you. Called Smart by Rand Fishkin. I'm putting that on my LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> so, so cheat codes for next time. Um, really, one of the first things that you say is about why you how to choose a brand name. You have four very specific points. Um, and I feel that these have, um, I mean, choosing a brand name and choosing a domain name are not always synonymous, but mostly, right? Um, so um, let's, let's talk well, about that. I you want to give us an overview? Yeah, in, in the article that uh, you published just, I think, a few days ago, um, you, I think after you stated your, the four, you know, the four, whatever criteria you said, basically you don't have your .com, you're irrelevant. You need to have your .com for, in most cases, um, which yeah, I, I want to be, I want to be clear. So, um, I believe that's true when you have a certain wide audience, uh, that you need to reach, right? Particularly and consumer -focused. You're to, sorry. Particularly if it's consumer focused. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I think that, you know, inside the, the domain name world, inside the SEO world, inside the technology world, we're extremely familiar with, you know, oh, there's all these new TLDs that I could be uh, buying and, uh, and lots of people are putting their domains on creative ones. But you miss out on a bunch of different things uh, if you don't go with kind of one of the classics. And to be frank, .com is, is the best of those options. Yeah. Uh, and those, those include things like when people see it, they know they can go immediately to the website. Mm -hmm. that, that actually means quite a bit and it, it becomes more shareable. So when someone says, um, when someone tells you a name, uh, the abil your ability to cognitively process that, which is called processing fluency, and then remember and recall and share it with someone else or use it yourself to, you know, go to that uh, destination or recall that brand when you're in a shop store shopping or whatever it is that that memory is actually incredibly tough the first time you hear about something it's really hard to remember something the second time even the third time I, I'm sure all of you have had that experience right of here we're at the grocery store what was that really good brand of coconut milk that Bob mentioned to us last week I don't know I can't remember yeah Yes, that problem, right, gets amplified across, you know, this wide audience that you're trying to reach. And, and therefore, uh, .com is essentially the domain name cheat code, if you will, to end around that processing fluency and give yourself 
the best shot to be remembered and associated. Um, and that will, that does a lot of things for you. It, it also means, generally speaking, that more people who want to link to you, right, because they want to remember you, they, they had to, you know, oh, Tess and I had a great uh, interview, you know, um, I don't know, a couple, a couple of years ago, and now she's launching her new startup, and oh, I should link to that in my blog, and what was the name of Tessa's new startup? Wait, oh, oh I remember. You put the link in, but you link to the .com, and she's on the .io. Yes, which yes, happens exactly. all the time. We have so many backlinks on our domain names, which are you know just stagnant domain names. Yep. Which are coming from like major publications who thought they were linking to a company, but actually they got the domain wrong. Yep, and that uh, those links carry so much weight in Google, right? So much weight uh, in, in terms of direct traffic when they get those mentions. And when someone lands on a, oh, this domain is available for sale instead of a Tessa's new startup, you, yeah. you wanna pull your hair out, right? It's just, it's, it's a terrible feeling. So there, there's a reason that the .com generally costs a premium. It's because it really is worth that premium. And that's one, of, yeah, Tessa, you pointed out, I mean, that's one of the recommendations I had in the book. Yeah. I always, Sorry, if it, I always like to say, um, I mean, I basically spend all of my time trying to explain why somebody should pay some absorbent price for the dot-com that I'm trying to sell them, um, or qualifying to, if our client is the buyer, trying to qualify to them why they, uh, how they can justify paying the price that a, a seller wants. And I always say that if you own anything except your bang on best fit Dot com, your brand requires further explanation to anybody that you want to tell it to. There are literally thousands, thousands of companies, maybe tens of thousands of companies out there uh, with a lot of money called yellow something, yellow bus, yellow pages, yellow uh, marketing, yellow group, yellow, it goes on and on and on and on. Submarine, I heard about. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of those companies on earth today will now never own yellow.com and they will always continuously have to give further explanation about their brand uh, because they can't just simply say we are yellow because there's only one yellow.com and everybody else needs further explanation. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So in terms, you know, beyond domains, just in, in naming a company, um, you, you mentioned, you know, once it's heard, it's remembered. Um, it doesn't get confused with something or someone that it's not. Um, and um, also in your book, you mentioned, you know, something like Amazon or Google that it can be anything. And I thought there I would throw in the story, you know, am, do you know that Amazon um, originally he was naming it abracadabra uh, or after abracadabra he named it cadabra and his own attorney kept thinking he was saying cadaver um <laughs> awkward not the association you want um so you know doesn't get confused with a dead body um has high well, I, have this, I, I have this thing tessa called the barista test right so you know how a lot of baristas when you go to the um you go to get coffee or, or whatever you're doing, right? But they, they ask you for your email address because they plug that in to send you the receipt, right? And sometimes you do it yourself, sometimes they ask you for it. And so my, my test, my barista test is, you say the name of your domain once. I'm rand at sparktoro.com. 
if they don't have to ask, you win. Yeah. yeah. Right? If they don't ask again, they've obviously never heard of Spark Toro, right? But if they don't have to ask me, how do you spell that? Or they don't ask to tell, say, oh, uh, sorry, what was that? And I can tell you, you know, my original domain name, which was S-E-O-M-O-Z, right? It was shorter, you know, it had the keyword in there, but um, if I said, oh, I'm Rand at SEOmoz.com or .org, we had both of them, but that, that never worked. Never worked. I remember in, you know, I don't know, 2006, when I first got into domains, SEOmoz was, um, was one of the first places I went, but I didn't know because I'm reading everything, not talking to anyone, podcasts weren't a thing um, for me. Um, and, um, I didn't know if it was SEO Moz or SEO MOZ because, you know, um, I, got, I got phone calls from people like, yeah, is this Shao Moz? Are you, uh, are you a CO Moz? Shao Moz, you could open an Asian. By, by the way, for those, for those in our audience who don't live in Seattle, a barista is the person who makes your coffee. Oh <laughs> <laughs> There's no one who doesn't know that. What? I'm just joking. <laughs> I mean, maybe in 1992, you know, that was that was when we were we were leading coffee culture in Seattle. Now, now everybody's up there. Now you're leading startup culture fueled Ooh, by the coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's jump on. So I read this data box interview um, also, and someone asked you what or um, what is. Um, the asset businesses should most invest in? And you gave a, a longer answer, but your first sentence was, for most web-based businesses, it's still your website. I, I added the emphasis, but it is your website. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you didn't say Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. Um, what are your thoughts on social media platforms um, you know, algorithm changes, they can, um, I saw the Twitter post you had a few days ago with Snapchat and, um, was it Twitter? Yeah. Um, and their market cap is the opposite of what it used to be. Um, talk to me for a minute there about how those algorithms can affect, um, your business and why you want to still engage with them, but how to, how to figure out how to balance engaging with them and engaging on your own website. Sure. So I, I don't think this is much of a competition. When you build your website, you own the user experience, you own the technology platform, you own any information that you can, can or are allowed to uh, track and collect and store and then use for your marketing activities later. Uh, you get to test and improve things. You do not get to do that with any other platform. I don't care if it's Google My Business, right? Um, where you appear in Google's local results, or whether it's you know the knowledge graph or knowledge panel on, on the site of Google, or whether it's your Twitter or Facebook account or your LinkedIn account or your uh, Medium you know page, you don't own and control that user experience. You don't own and control that data. And we have seen over the last ten years those social networks essentially you know use this uh, strategy of hey we're going to help you amplify your reach. We're going to help you build your business. We're going to help you grow. And so everyone, you know, goes to them and says, great, Facebook, you take care of me. Great, Yelp, you take care of me. Great, LinkedIn, you take care of me. And then what happens over time is that those 
you know, Facebook says, oh, uh, we're taking, we're pulling back on the reach of businesses to give people more personal posts. And, you know, reach went, what was it, six or seven years ago, went from an average of 20% down to like 7%. And everyone freaked out. Today, you would give your arm and leg for 7% reach on Facebook. You know, you're lucky to get half a percent, right? Yeah. 1% is considered excellent. If you Phenomenal. can reach 1% of your audience with a post, you're like cheering in your chair as a social media marketer. And that's insane. That's yeah. insane because 100% of people who make it to your website, your brand is in front of them. You own and control that experience. And so I think making the website the center of all your activities and having any of these other channels essentially be a distribution and broadcast channel, not a home, not a place where you, you know, build your uh, marketing, but rather a place where you do your marketing. A part of your funnel, so to speak. Yeah, and, and at the very top. It should yeah. be at the top of the funnel to drive people to your website. I will take any day, I will take, you know, 100 people getting to my website versus, you know, LinkedIn sort of, oh, but we can do further qualification here. And, you know, you can drive them to your page. And then when they get to your, uh, whatever, em employment section or yeah. they get to your product section, they'll be more qualified customers. So send them here instead. Forget that. Yeah. Don't, don't listen to them. Uh, you should make your website your home. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions about it. Um, if you get banned, blacklisted, um, shadow banned, um, all these different things that can happen either on a social media platform or um, with a domain name. Um, one, one of the first questions that I know um, Drew was asking earlier was if you buy a domain on a blacklist, what can you do to fix that? Sure. So you're talking about like an SEO blacklist uh, or a, um, a Google blacklist, or it's been um, you know penalized somehow by Facebook. Yeah, it's got some kind of handicap. Yep. Yep. Uh, so all of those are recoverable, and in fact, uh, seeing a change of domain, you know, owner uh, mm -hmm. is a good way to start that. Well, to make that process easier. But I I'm not going to lie. I have seen and had experiences with plenty of folks who have bought domains that have been penalized in the past. Uh, Google used to be much worse about this. I think they're actually much better now. Mm -hmm. Facebook can still sometimes be bad about it. Um, Twitter doesn't ban very many domains, right? If you want to be, yeah. well, not in Germany, but right. But if you want to be a crazy Nazi, like Twitter is, will allow your insanity, uh, <laughs> for now at least. We'll, we'll see yeah. if that changes. Uh, the, you know, uh, the central point, though, is that, that you should be taking action. All of these, uh, whatever it is, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, even Tumblr, you know, have these um, protocols that you can go through to say, oh, my domain, you know, had some problem with it and uh, I want to repair that. Uh, the, my best advice is before you buy, because this can be part of your price negotiation, right? Before you buy, go post it to every network out there. Right, go post a link to this and set, you know, whatever. You can create a, a new account and you know just post it to your and see whether you can see it with your other accounts. Make sure that you can. So you know, if I buy, you know, Rand and Tess's new startup.info and you know I post that to Tumblr and I see, oh, actually, gosh, I can't, I now can't see any of these posts. That that indicates to me that I should go back to the seller and say, hey, it looks like you're banned on Tumblr, and you know that 
that that's going to be a little bit of a hit on price, probably not too much, right? But uh, if it was Facebook, that might be a much bigger one because yeah. I'm going to have to go through this process. Sort of like buying a house that has some property line issue dispute and you have to go sort it out with the neighbors and the courts. You tend to pay less for those houses. Same story here. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And what if you're on the Google's blacklist? Yeah, so Google has the same thing. Uh, you can, well, the frustrating part about Google is that you will need to own the domain name first or at least have access to Google Search Console so that you can go through Google's process of you know, requesting removal. I will say Google has gotten much better about this. They're both much faster uh, at dealing with those when they come up. And they also, um, it, it tends to be the case that Google very rarely uh, bans entire domains anymore. And they're much more likely to simply remove the value from uh, links that point to a domain, right? So if you, if you had a bunch of manipulative links pointing yeah. to a domain, they were, you know, one point maybe helping in rankings and then Google figured out this is all spam. Used to be for a long time there, Google would sort of ban or penalize your website for getting those links. Now, instead, what they're doing is discounting uh, the value of those links. That's not to say it never happens. So, uh, so, so getting spammy links, so, so I mean, that was always a, a big point of discussion. Yeah. I was in the negotiation was like, well, you know, look, I'm looking at the, the link profile on this domain and, you know, look, there's like, you know, 60 super spammy links, 60 might be even low. Sometimes it was thousands. Yeah. Super spammy links pointing to this domain. It's, you know, it's going to be virtually impossible to get them removed. And Google would actually not just previously, not just discount the value of those links, but actually penalize you for the link. And I always found that to be a very strange thought because if I was a competitor and I wanted to be nefarious, I would simply go get a bunch of spammy links and point it to my competitor so that they get penalized. Yeah. And you don't have any control over who points a link to you. And so um, I understand on the surface what they were trying to do, but at the heart of things, I know people who, um, suffered from, from competitors doing some nefarious acts and pointing spammy demands at them um, to, for Google to penalize them. Is that no longer the case? They're, they're now just basically discounting the links? Uh, let's see. So I want to be- Or let's preface that with as far as you know, because nobody can actually see inside Google's black box. Yeah, yeah, right. So that, that is absolutely one important caveat. The, the second one is uh, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, maybe even overwhelming majority of the time, now they are discounting those links rather than penalizing you for having them. That being said, in the cases where they are penalizing you for having them, or in the case where you're worried about that, claiming your Google Search Console connection will allow you to do what's called a disavow uh, mm -hmm. on any links that point to you, and that disavow will essentially remove those links' value in Google's eyes, but it will also remove any penalty that those links pass uh, to you. Generally speaking, like I said, in, in the overwhelming majority of cases now, you don't have to worry about that too much. Uh, but if, you're, if you are worried, uh, there's a few really great spam experts. My, my um, one newsletter I would urge you to subscribe to and, and potentially personally get in touch with is Marie Haynes. Well, actually, I think I mentioned in the book because we, we worked on a spam score at Oz. Uh, and, and Marie basically tracks all of this stuff and does a ton of unpenalization 
Uh, another great guy in that field is Alan Bleibeis. Um, and the two of them, you know, both do the same sorts of things where they'll, you know, audit a project and, and help you get out of the penalty box and, and walk you through that. But um, Google yeah. does have a good process for re-inclusion and for that request, as well as for disavowing spam if you connect your Google Search Console. So one thing you could consider if you're buying a domain name is to say, give me a login to the Google Search Console, right? Because Google will give you inside Google Search Console, it'll show, hey, this we have penalized this domain, right? Or we've banned your domain, we found suspicious activity, here are the links we know about to your site, right? And you can say, yeah, okay, um, if you'll give me a month to clean this up, I will pay full price. If you're not willing to give me that month to clean it up, I want to be, you know, I want a 20% discount here because I'm going to have to go through that process and I don't know if it'll work. So that's a very reasonable thing that you could ask uh, a seller for in a negotiation. Okay. So you said, oh, sorry, mariehaines.com. I see is her site. You mentioned a gentleman. Yeah. Uh, Alan Blyweiss is like, let me see if he's... Uh, Okay. Website. And Here's then that is I want to know. What is it? Uh, so it's A L A N and then B L E I W E I S S. Okay. Alan. Wow, I actually spelled it right from the first time you said it. I'm pretty impressed. Only because you're in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so educated, so efficient. <laughs> you had a question, Drew. No. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask, where would you um, look up the link profile? Is that um, a tool that you provide at SparkToro? Um, oh, yeah, or no. where, yeah. would, where would you recommend that? Uh, so historically for, boy, um, a frustrating you know, few years, uh, my answer was uh, one of two places, uh, a, a company called Ahrefs. Dot com a h r e f s dot com a h s dot com uh, like the you know HTML link um, command and and the other one is majestic dot com majestic SEO uh, both of them have, have had big broad link indices uh, Moz also had a link index but it tended not to get deep into the world of spammy links which could be very frustrating for folks um, and so. Now, uh, as, of, as of just uh, the beginning of May, actually, uh, Moz has a tool, a new tool called Link Explorer uh, that I worked on for a few years at, uh, just before my departure there. Um, and that is um, even larger, uh, an even bigger set of, uh, of links and a larger index than what those competitors I mentioned have. And so that's a potentially very good option. Um, all three of them can provide you with information I, I like but don't love Google's free link data in Search Console. I, I like it because it tends to be very accurate and up to date. I don't love it because it tends to be very incomplete and intentionally incomplete. So whereas you know, Ahrefs or Majestic or, or Moz's Link Explorer are showing you all the links that they know about to the website or page you requested, Google is intentionally showing you a sample of the links. They know about more, they're just not showing them to you. And so that can be a frustrating experience to go through because you have this sort of like, wait, but what about this link exists? Does Google know about it? Yeah, they know about it. They're just not showing it to you in the, in the console. So um, I, I like that a lot. Uh, Moz does also have a new spam score that is pretty darn good for sorting. Uh, I like that. There's also, 
a tool called, um, oh my gosh. On, on the topic of the spam score, because I, it's something I use on a daily basis um, when I'm evaluating a domain, can you give me some, some specific like numbers? Like sometimes I'll see a two or three and I'm kind of like, okay, two or three out of 17, that's, that's oh. okay. Yeah, yeah, so that was, that was the old spam score, which I, I had a lot of frustrations, like two out of okay. 17, what the heck does that mean? Um, yeah. No, yes, so the new spam score from Moz is zero out of 100. Uh, okay. It's a percentile score, and that percentile score uh, essentially is, has a very clear connection to, you know, Moz crawled uh, a few hundred million domains and then searched for all of them in Google and looked at which ones were penalized or banned. Um, mm -hmm. And then looked at a whole bunch of features and said, okay, if you see um, these, you know, I, I think there's like 40-ish features that, that Moz looks at, but if we see these features in these sorts of ways, uh, about 12% of websites we observed with those features were banned or penalized by Google. So your score is 12%, right? Okay. Now 12%, that's not high risk. That's quite low, right? Uh, you know, that only 12% of sites with my features were penalized or banned? That's not a big deal. Uh, it's even better to be 1%, but, but you, don't, you don't care too much about your own site. You know whether you're spamming or not. Yeah. Right? So if you, your own spam score of 12% is meaningless, right? Uh, not meaningless, but, but you shouldn't care too much about it. It's not very actionable. I wouldn't jump through a bunch of hoops to get from 12% to 2%. Why? You know you're spamming or you're not spamming. I would, however, highly recommend it when you sort your links Right, so if you go look at a link, oh, I'm thinking about buying this domain, right? I really like randontessesnewstartup.com. Yeah. Let's see, okay, randontessesnewstartup.com has 5,000 links. Let me sort them in order from most spam to least spam. And I'm gonna look at all the sites that link to, you know, our new startup, and I'm gonna see, oh, these, you know, 40 up here have like above a 50% spam score. That, that means they're more likely than not to be spam you know yeah. what, I'm just gonna export those and I'm gonna upload it as a disavow file to Google so that Google treats these, knows that I, I didn't intend anything shady because before I make this domain purchase, I, I, I want Google to you know, consider this a really clean domain. Great, that's a, that's a perfect use for spam score. It's great for sorting the links that point to you. Yeah. But your own site, you know, if you've been running it for a while, you know if you're spam or not. Yeah. So even if you have a 60% spam score, if you're not spamming, okay, you're in the 40% that wasn't penalized in bank. Right? Although maybe somebody's spoofing you. Yeah, right, or someone's doing something sketchy. Yeah, you could look around and see like, hey, what's causing that? And is there something I should go fix? So, so, I mean, if you had to give a number and you're looking at the spam score and you say, you know, you're evaluating a domain. Oh, what? like do I even pay any attention? So I don't, I probably don't pay any attention at all under 10%. Okay. Um, you know, a, a 9%, you know, 9% of domains were penalized or banned. That's that, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, and then I probably, I don't really worry until I see it's over 25 or 30%. Yeah. Um, and then if I see that it's over 50%, I'm kind of like, Hmm, you know, yeah. let's flip a coin odds that this is penalized or banned. I, I don't like that one bit. Not at all. Good to know, thanks. So how yeah. about exact match domains, right? Mm. We, in our industry, we call them EMDs. Um, this is, this is the big one. This is, this, is what, this, is, this is what you're on here for. This was all just a tease. Now we really want to know. What do the exact match domains do for SEO? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry yeah. Tess, did you? 
No, yeah, sorry, I think that's okay. good enough. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about EMDs. So, um, there are still some small advantages, um, from a pure SEO standpoint of owning a domain name that is exactly, um, you, you know, exactly a match for the word or phrase of the thing that you do or offer. Uh, however, the people are searching. Yes. However, there are also considerable drawbacks um, and, and you should be mindful of both. So I'll, you know, I think um, a really good example would be something like uh, books.com. So books.com, it is short, easy to pronounce, easy to say and spell and remember. Um, when you hear it, you're like, oh, books.com. Oh, I, you, you must be competing with Amazon. Oh, we are, but we actually do um, used books and rare books and really interesting things with you know, authors directly. Oh, cool. Okay. I'm going to check you out. Books.com. That sounds really good. And, and there are SEO benefits to that, right? There's, so that, those are sort of branding benefits and me memory benefits, processing fluency benefits and SEO benefits. Everyone who links to you will call you books.com. And when they link to your website, even if they just type it out, uh, that link will look to Google like books, B-O-O-K-S, right? So that anchor text the, the link, the anchor text in the link will pass some uh, linguistic value, right? Some, some, that's um, interesting. some value to Google that says, Hey, this website over here says this website over here is about books. Mm -hmm. uh, so that can be helpful as well uh, to the degree that anyone still searches books on Google and doesn't actually just go to Amazon, but we'll, we'll, we'll ignore that problem for, for a minute. Uh, where it gets more problematic is where you say, oh, um, you know what, we offer uh, rare uh, Italian collector's books and we own rareitaliancollectorsbooks.com. Really? So there's, there's, there's problems on the branding side. That's a long domain name. It's hard to remember, is it Italian rare Books.com? No, rare Italian collectors books.com. Okay, all right, good. Right, so me memorizing that, remembering it, recalling it, typing it in, all of those things are frustrating. When the barista has to type in, you're kidding me. Random, yeah. rare Italian collectors books, to, you know, just sitting there for forever. Okay, th that's one problem. The second problem that's more frustrating is that uh, the in inside of Google is let's say you do rank very well. Lots of people are searching for, you know, rare. A few people are searching for, but they're ready to pay a lot of money to buy something from you when they search for rareitaliancollectorsbooks.com or, or rareitaliancollectorsbooks. You might rank number one, but when they see your domain in the listing, you look sketchy. You look sketchy because people have been trained over the last 20 years of the internet that domains that are uh, generic keyword matches tend to be spammy, sketchy, manipulative, not high quality, not very trustworthy compared to brand names, right? So, I mean, as weird as it sounds, you would probably do better with yellow.com, mm -hmm. right? If you, if you branded yourself as yellow.com, we are the source for rare books around the world. You know, our brand, you know, we are yellow and you, you know, you have some beautiful branding and people can sort of remember that. They don't have another brand association with it. Fantastic. That's probably going to work much better for you. Your click-through rate will be higher. Your conversion rate will be higher. 
And that will probably mean that you actually rise in the rankings even above the exact match, you know, rare Italian collectors books.com. And that's why you see that over the past 15 years, the percent of domains uh, in, you know, that, that all sorts of indices track, Moz's index tracks it, right? Our, our, our keyword index tracks it, um, SEMrush, SEMrush tracks it, Ahrefs tracks it, all these folks. You can see that the percent of exact match domains that rank highly in Google on page one has steadily gone down. Um, and so that, that's sort of the story with exact match domain names. Sometimes they can be great, especially if they're short and memorable and easy to brand. Mm -hmm. If they're longer, if they're more convoluted, uh, if they look sketchy in the, in the results, I would bias to a brand. So I, I'm gonna, I don't wanna say I'm gonna be contrarian here, but, but uh, I, I think that it's topic specific. So um, if I'm searching for a new car and I see uh, usedcarreviews.com, it's probably not where I'm gonna go because I'm aware of Kelly Blue Book, I'm aware of Simon, I'm aware of you know uh, Auto Trader, and, and there's lots of brands out there that I'm aware of. Yeah. If I'm going to search for new kitchen cabinets, maybe you're an expert on the topic, I'm not. I don't know a single, well, I do because I'm, I just got done modeling a house, but, um, in, prior to that, I had no clue. I couldn't have told you a single brand in the kitchen cabinetry market. And so if I saw kitchencabinets.com, I would actually click on that because I'd say, okay, boom, that's what I'm, I'm looking for, kitchen cabinets. I think in the example you gave, and obviously we're just pulling something out of blue sky, rareitaliancollectorsbooks.com, um, because uh, I guess on the topic of books, I also would probably... But if it was some other very niche topic like that, where there's no um, strong branding in the space, there's no familiar household brand, um, I think that those exact match domain names probably carry more weight. People probably have a higher tendency to click on them, a higher click-through rate. Um, but again, I'm only yeah. guessing. So, so I, I think, Andrew, you are, you are absolutely right. I 100% agree with you. And I think it's important to think one step ahead of that, mm -hmm. which is there's no one who's well-known in kitchen cabinets. There's no one who's well-known in rare Italian collector's items. I don't want to be the exact match domain name that over time becomes the one that no one cares about because some brands build up in the space. I want to be the one with the potential to be the brand that everyone's heard of in the space. Yeah, so that is very difficult. There, there are so few companies that have actually taken the exact match domain name and become the brand in their space. And I think that is because uh, brands that carry um, associate, you know, different kinds of associations from the verbal linguistic ones we mm -hmm. already have are more easily transmittable, are more mm -hmm. memorable, carry these kinds of powers. And so, you know, for example, my, my new startup. You know, my new startup, I could have called it, um, you know, publicationdiscoverer.com. Yeah. You know, that, that's probably available or I could have bought it from someone. It describes what we do, right? Someone would have been like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, maybe you still have to check it out. But I didn't want to be that. I, I know that there's no one in the, how do I, you know, there's no big brand in the software space of how do I discover the 
publications and people that influence my audience world, right? That, that, that's, um, it's just too niche, but I, I wanted to be the brand or have the potential to be the brand rather than being the exact match that might get some early SEO benefit, some early ranking benefit because of that linguistic connection, but then later on be susceptible to another brand coming into the space and dominating. So that, that that's, tends to be my bias. You know, I think that really summarizes it. I think you're both right. There's a different time and place for an exact match yes. to mean. Are you looking to, um, first of all, what is your space? Is it a frequent purchase? What is the brand saturation in your space or the brand expectation? I know Microsoft did two fascinating studies on um, exact match domains many years ago, right? Mm -hmm. But their main um, caveat was if there were already a lot of brand saturation or not. Um, yeah. Kitchen cabinets, yeah, there. I've read this study because didn't we saw we like cabinets.com or something? I read this yeah. study that um, most people, even after they've bought their kitchen cabinets, which is one of the most expensive purchases in their home, they can't remember what brand it is. They remember, you know, I got it at Home Depot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, blinds.com, they built up, they took those early SEO advantages and then they sold to Home Depot. Um, diapers.com yeah. took those advantages. And even though there's a lot of brand saturation, they knew that people were looking for options and were less interested in the branding than in the pricing in that yeah. arena. And then they built it up and sold to Amazon. So price sensitivity is probably also a good um, criteria mechanism to, to uh, caveat whether or not uh, an exact match domain is going to be effective in a particular category. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. More price sensitivity, probably better opportunity for exact match domain, like insurance, perhaps. On average, for sure. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to just quickly um, one one area where there seems to be both um, a meteoric rise of, of brands and exact match domain wars is in the mattress space. This direct sure. to consumer mattress space. Yeah. I mean, it's like the mind-boggling. Um, we've had, I couldn't even tell you how many clients in that space, all searching for the same stuff. And how do you reconcile that? That, um, you know, is there, is there, is there still, is there still a, a strategy for both uh, substantiating your brand in a, in a space, trying to saturate your brand into a, space at the same time chasing that exact match domain strategy for SEO and then and creating these satellite sites, sister sites. Is that still a strategy? It, it is still strategies that some people pursue. I, I don't love it because I think it is actually um, taking time and energy and attention away from your primary marketing efforts, which generally building up one brand name and one domain name, uh, in the long term, do the best, and you know you can see that almost every very large company uh, operates that way. That being said, uh, the mattress space is a good one because, or is a good one to talk about because it is right now uh, experiencing something of a combination of two things: one, a gold rush, right? So, tons, you know, as people are getting comfortable with buying mattresses online, and these are high purchase point items, and there's lots of margin in the space, and there's lots of potential producers, right? 
Um, and there's tons of capital, a lot of private equity capital, a lot of venture capital that have gone in or, or are going into that space. Um, so because of that, you get this, this weird world of you know, crazy amounts of competition, tons of people blowing tons of money trying to become the brand in the space. And in a few years, it'll settle out. Right in a few years, I don't know how many, maybe it's five, maybe it's 10, maybe it's only two, um, there will be three or four winners and there'll be 47 companies that spent tens of millions of dollars and no longer exist and maybe they're acquired and maybe they just shut down. Um, but anytime you see a space like that, I would be careful of taking the lessons of what's going on in that type of a space and extrapolating it out to a broader one uh, because you can misinterpret sort of how applicable uh, that those lessons are. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. solid advice. Yeah. Um, um, did you want to ask something else, Drew? Or? No, no, no. That, that, that was uh, pretty much the point. And that was, that was sort of what I had thought is that, you know, yeah. Yeah. mattress, online mattress shopping is having its moment and it's not necessarily. I was sure, I was sure you were going to say uh, 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 Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, right? Which is another yeah. space where there's, just insane amounts of domain activity, tons of yeah. people investing in building a brand, a bunch of people building exact match domains. And you know, in a few years, it will all shake out and either cryptocurrency will be a thing or it won't be. Uh, and a few of these companies will be you know, interesting and successful and the overwhelming majority will not. You know, we don't need 1700 types of cryptocurrency um, for sure. Okay. What's really fascinating in the crypto world, though, is the hyperspeed at which things get flushed out. It's at least 10x the, the speed at which everything else in every other industry, which I've seen, yeah. um, basically is every industry on earth, because like I like to say, all roads lead back to domain names. And so really, we've dealt with everybody. Yeah, everybody. yeah. I think, well, so you, I mean, you have a ton of speculative, uh, sorry, short-term speculative capital. And anytime you get lots of short-term speculative capital, you're gonna have incredible amounts of turnover, right? So, um, you know, in the 1980s, right, and, and early 90s, the savings and loan business was the same way, right? You had yeah. tons of savings and loans opening up all over the place, right? Like, you know, small towns in Iowa would have four savings and loans. What the hell's going on here? Right, and then of course, you know, regulation and yeah. greed and fraud brought the whole thing to a collapse and- Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know, the new thing right now in domains, of course, are the new GTLDs. Um, you know, uh, there's, it's recently been in the news, vacation.rentals and home.loans are doing really well um, in SEO and, and very quickly. Um, do you think that's a sign of things to come? Do you think that's more likely a temporary bump? Um, what, what, what do you think there? Uh, so to the degree that those domain names are benefiting from essentially having uh, both keywords in the domain and TLD, as well as the, uh, all the anchor text that points to them, especially when the deal, you know, there's a big domain deal and lots of people link to the site and then that gets lots of press talking about it. So, so just to point this out for our Sherpa network, what you're saying is just like books.com, the anchor text in any link is going to include the keyword books. The anchor text in vacation.rentals is getting vacation and rentals. Is that what you're saying right there? Yes-ish. Yes-ish. Okay, um, okay. So keep going on where you were going. I just wanted 
to yeah no i appreciate that clarification that is that is an extremely important point so google has said no we don't no we don't count the the tld extension yeah. as an anchor as part of the anchor text and that you know that's not how we treat it except in cases where someone is looking for the domain itself right so if someone type were to type into google vacation.rentals you know or you know randontest.startup or something like that right then google thinks oh wait now let's consider what the tld you know and the anchor text there is i i actually don't believe google i think that no. sometimes they're getting they are interpreting uh, the TLD extension as part of the anchor text. What I do believe, what I think the statement should be is, we're trying and thinking about in the future probably mostly discounting it. Yeah. Right? That, that is what it means. And that's an important message if you're a domainer, a buyer or a seller. Right? If you're a seller, that means now might be a great time to sell. And if you're a buyer who has short-term interests, now might be a great time to buy and leverage that. And if you have long-term interests, now might be a better time to buy something else. Yeah. So that, exactly. that's how I'd interpret it. I think that's a great summary that probably is in line with my view. Yeah. And on top of that, if you're looking to sell soon or to you want to build up, if you if you, when you look at the larger picture of that the the ecosystem, like are you in the mattress or the crypto space where a really quick bump will mean a huge deal, mm -hmm. or something that won't, um, you want to factor in the larger picture. That's yeah. that's interesting. I mean, one of you know, if I'm in crypto or or mattresses right now, and I hold domains that have these interesting, uh, you know, modified TLDs or, or GTLDs, would I consider selling right now? I, I probably would. Now would be a hot time to sell. I'd really think about it. As a buyer, I'd probably be more interested in, just because of how I operate personally, right? I like long-term things versus short-term. If, you, if you're someone who flips, you know, who buys, builds, flips, that, that might be great for you. Um, but because I'm a long-term brand builder, I might be thinking more in terms of, oh, I want a brandable dom domain. I want a .com domain. I want something that's not keyword match, but is memorable. Those kinds of things. You know, as I hear you, Rand, I just hear such, um, and I know this is who you are in, in everything I've read. You're very balanced. Hmm. And um, you, you try to look from different per perspectives. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think there's a way I want to play things, right? There's like a, there's a bias I have, but I want to be cognizant of those, of those biases. And I think anytime you're in a two-sided marketplace like domaining, you should be very cognizant, right? But part of your success and failure rests on you being cognizant of other people's biases. So you might say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You should do it this way. No, no, no. That's how you want to do it. Yeah. Now think about how other people want to do it. Put yourself in you know, a totally different brain and you can imagine how that brain might operate in other ways. And now you can identify you know, potential disparities in the market and opportunities. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have three more questions and then I really would like to begin our startup. I Let's really like, we've progressed from like Tessa's random startup to randontessastartup.info. We're at the .com now. Oh, we're... I we're crushing I like it. We're going places. All yeah, right. I'll bring in the barista. We're um, one of the Silicon Valley euphemisms right now. Oh, we're killing it. We're um, crushing we're it. Slaying. We're yes. all the things. 
Okay, so how do you think voice recognition and voice search could affect domain names and the way we navigate the internet um, and find things we want to find? You know, will people be searching more generically or more product specifically? Uh, right now, all the... Oh no, he froze! Action and activity. Wait, wait, you froze. Oh, sorry. Start again. Right, we heard right now and then... My better? Yeah, you're, you're all good now. Okay. There's like a three-second pause. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so uh, right now, the voice search data that we have and the voice search stuff that we've seen uh, suggests that people are interested in two things, doing actions um, or, or having their device, their voice device, uh, perform actions for them. Like um, text, text Drew. Text Drew. Call, call um, Set timer, right? That, that kind of stuff. Uh, and do things when there where when there are commercial things, it is not just almost always. Right now, it's pretty much always uh, brands and products that have already been purchased. No one says, "Hey Alexa, uh, buy me a new laptop." I don't care which one. No, yeah. no. So it's for rent and repeat. Buy me a new video game system. Book me a vacation somewhere. Yeah. No, right. That's that that hasn't happened. That's like, I don't think that's going to happen. How about, hey, Alexa, what's the best laptop in the market? Even that, even that uh, tends to be something where people do not trust a voice device. Okay. Um, and we don't see search queries like that, right? Okay. Um, I think it's especially, you know, because Alexa will then say, I found 17 laptops from CNET.com. I will read you this 700 page art, you know, article about it. No, shut up. Go, yeah. go back to playing jazz. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's not how people consume that type of information. Uh, however, um, what you do see a lot of is people saying, uh, Alexa, order us more paper towels. And then Alexa will say something like, you know, um, last Dude, month, like bounty. yeah, last month you purchased, purchased, blah, blah, blah. Do you want blah, blah, blah again? Yes. Okay. Transaction done. Right. Alexa, order me more trash bags. Alexa, you know, Order us, uh, uh, you know, the same Thai takeout we had last night. Okay, right. That that type of stuff, stuff that's already familiar, that's been done before, that people are comfortable with those. I suspect that's going to be a lot of how voice is done. It's not for discovery. It's for taking familiar actions. Okay. Uh, as far as how that affects domains, I think in my mind that is a. You know, right now there's an opportunity. If you search Google for paper towels or you search Amazon for paper towels, you might be tempted to buy something different because you see other options. In this world of voice search, you're not even tempted. There's, there's no consideration. You just get what you got before. Yeah. And so I think this doubles down on the power of brand and the power of, you know, being the pre-existing and preeminent provider. So, you know, again, the, the way I see sort of you know, what a lot of folks call late stage capitalism going is the powerful get more powerful. And so I would, I would urge you to become one of the powerful, right? That's, that's sort of the way that I would put that. Yeah. yeah. So bounty.com bounty gets stronger, bestpapertowels.com, not so much. Not so much. You don't, bestpapertowels.com doesn't even have a chance to rank. There's no screen for them to rank on. They, they can't even get in front of your eyeballs, Yeah. right? So unless you can change some of the people know and love. 
Yeah. You know, Brand, you, oh, I just called you Brand. That's hilarious. <laughs> hey. Um, so, Rand, um, you said um, about before about um, like Spark Toro. You want a name that people can remember. This is basically mm -hmm. going to be five times more important in the very near future to be able to repeat sales that it's the initial consumer acquisition is going to be even more important. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see a ton more competition for the first transaction, for the first capture, and then uh, less opportunity for competition in future transactions. Bigger moats. Yeah. yeah, in certain spaces, right? In some yeah. spaces, uh, it, I don't think that'll happen, for example, as much with vacations. I don't think it'll happen as much with, um, you know, very large purchase with home purchases, for example, right? No, no one's going to be like, hey, Alexa, call up my real estate agent. Get me the same house I got last time. Yeah. You don't have to worry, right? That real or estate. Cars, flights. Yeah, cars are mostly immune from that. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm hearing here, um, I learned when I was researching for this interview, Rand, I, I learned a new term, um, availability heuristic. Um, essentially a mental shortcut that relies on immediate examples yeah. um, or, or, you know, I think that's kind of the same thing as cognitive fluency. And oh, um, I just want to know, are you going to write an article about that or will you have you? Um, sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to write about availability heuristic uh, bias. Okay. Yeah. It's, and, um, and your marketing choices or your brand, specifically your brand choice. Yeah. Right. 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 So, so availability heuristic bias is this thing where, um, if you have existing examples or associations, your mind will instantly go to them. So if someone says, um, you know, uh, fantasy movies, right? Like, I, I don't know about you, but I immediately, my brain immediately thinks, uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Like that's what I, I don't know. Maybe there was some terrible movie with like Vin Diesel a few years ago, but I can't remember what it was called. Um, I'm sure there's been a bad one with Nicolas Cage or two, but uh, you know, apart from, apart from that, I'm sort of like, okay, Lord of the Rings, that's, that's my association. I think the other one, I haven't actually seen it, but um, Game, Game of Thrones, right, is something that people are very familiar with. So, so you have these like preconceived notions when someone says, oh, Amazon's making a new fantasy series. That, that's where your brain goes and you have that assumption um, right, and, and those biases. And so when something doesn't fit with that, when they instead make, I don't know, the fifth element with Bruce Willis, and you're like, hang on, is that is that that? I didn't think that was that. I thought that, isn't that something else? I don't yeah. get it. Right, and uh, that becomes more challenging for you to overcome, and it, it tends not to do as well, and, and those sorts of things. Um, so when you apply yeah. that to marketing, if you buy, a, a, if, if you name your company Spark Toro, you know it's going to spark ideas and call people and give them like a bullseye. Is that's what I, mean, I I mean, or you have no association whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was my interpretation. With what that is. Like, maybe if I try really hard, I could think about like, okay, spark, something to do with, you know, yeah, sparking an idea, bull or Toro, wait, maybe that, maybe that has something to do You're with looking for a blank state. tuna belly. A, a white bull. Has no association. Things where you can get 100% of people's mind share 
for that particular brand or term and with no associations. And then you have a clean slate to paint those pictures as you wish. That, that is, I think every brand builder should be looking for either something where people already have a bunch of positive associations and they fit really well into that and they leverage that and lean on it or the complete opposite. Yeah. The whiteboard, the, the, the green screen where anything can go. Mm-hmm. Does Apple fit into the positive association? Like, like pretend that this is day one, Steve Jobs, I'm going to call my company Apple. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's very uh, no association. Technology okay. company called Apple. Okay, that's like a technology company called Amazon. I've heard of the river, but what is that? Okay, it doesn't really have to do with it. You're just doing a thing. You, yeah. you just like the name. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, very good. Um, so um, on May 24th, you tweeted um, this really good article um, uh, from journalism.org. It said um, 24% of web users listened to a podcast in the last month, but there's still no great search engine for podcasts, no great way for audiences or advertisers to find podcasts. The fact that it's grown despite these challenges amazes, I think, the person writing the article or you? On the amazes me. Um, it amazes me. Raise your hand. Um, but so here I am doing like a video slash podcast. Uh, help. Like where are, where are the stats? Where is the advertising? Where is the search marketing? Um, what do you see? What do you recommend for now? I mean, if 24% of web users are using this, it's not just, it's, it's helpful that this will benefit this business, but um, a lot of other people must have this question. And where do you see that in the future with, um, so we talked about voice search, but all the listening that's happening is changing so much of of the environment. Well, I I mean, I think that if you are a podcaster or someone who's building up a channel, you know, in the, in the voice and video, or sorry, in the audio and video worlds, um, you have a few places where people go and they try and subscribe, right? So iTunes and YouTube and SoundCloud, et cetera. Um, but there is, there is no great search engine. There's no great discovery engine. There's no great sort of like, hey, I'm really interested in gardening. What are some great gardening podcasts? You know, you search Google and you get a, a list in text from some blogs, right, that have written, oh, here's some great gardening podcasts. Yeah, and there's like Google Images. You can search images or, you know, yeah. Didn't Google just announce they're doing something? Aren't they coming into the space? Google announced that they would be doing more with podcasts. Um, I think we have yet to see exactly what that's going to mean. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it could lead to better discovery, better search. Um, Certainly right now it is a uh, severe problem. And I think even more so, for advertisers and those seeking advertisers, right? Yeah. So you might have a big audience with your podcast that an advertiser really wants to reach. Neither of you has any idea the other exists, neither the advertiser yeah. nor the podcaster. And yeah. connecting those people up is seems like a problem that needs to be solved. 24% of web users is more people than listen to radio. And buying yeah. radio no, I mean, that's is really easy. And that's why billions of dollars of advertising gets spent on radio because it's easy. So, so I would like to see that happen. This? I want podcasters to be able to make money. Um, yeah. So I'm So who's solving this problem? Where would you see this being? Or, I mean, it seems like something SparkToro could solve if you have some free time. Yeah. <laughs> I, so here's the challenge. I, 
I do agree it's a problem that needs solving, but my, my background and biases are all to organic marketing. So one of the things that I will absolutely be helping uh, marketers do is discover podcasts that influence their audiences. Mm. Um, but uh, SparkToro won't be trying to provide that sort of like two-sided marketplace where podcasters can put up their publications and advertisers can try and you know, connect and bid with them. Um, that's just not, uh, not a space that, that yeah. I'm passionate about and that I have experience in. But, but for someone, for some enterprising entrepreneur, um, I, I think it's a hell of an opportunity. Absolutely. Agreed. I want to just take that clip and tweet it like daily until someone does it. <laughs> Let's go, people. What are you <laughs> doing building your skateboards and your uh, <laughs> yeah. machines? Yeah, failing your exam questions about the Carter administration. <laughs> um, nice. Um, okay, uh, let's 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 uh, let's wrap it up. Um, I feel like um, the best way to wrap it up, Rand, is um, throw out some thoughts on global positioning for a brand, how that relates to SEO marketing and uh, domain names. Um, what sure. what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So I mean. In terms of global, global is a tough one because uh, I think that the the advice that I usually give of you should have a single domain name and put all of your effort into that is has a caveat when you are trying to go global because you need to localize uh, both in languages and in regions and countries. And so um, that often means getting your hands on a lot of different domains. Uh, with with a lot of TLD extensions, um, usually the you know the classic country code ones. Um, so that trademarks can absolutely help, right? And uh, and registering your trademark in lots of different countries, which is something I just did with with SparkToro, for example. It's a little pricey and a little bit of a pain in the butt, but oftentimes your lawyer's office can handle that. And you know we're talking sub, I think. For us all in, it was like 10K maybe, maybe 12K to register in the US, UK, Canada, Australia, and EU. South Africa. Are you, so, are you targeting Asia? Uh, so much we, activity there. So we, we might target Asia in the future, but um, we wanted to have the trademark in English language speaking countries. Yeah. That, that's sort of where, where that matters the most yeah. for us right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, as far as the rest goes, I'll give you an example. So when we bought Moz.com, uh, we switched from SEO Moz to, to Moz, right? We changed our brand name. And that was, I think, a half a million dollars, maybe a little bit more than that, right, for that domain, which I think actually was a steal. I, I'm, you know, I think that that person probably could have charged us uh, 750, even 900, and, and we probably would have had to pay up somewhere around a million dollars. We probably would have said no, and someone else would have gotten it, but it still mm -hmm. probably would have been worthwhile for whoever did. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the, the cost of then going out and, and the concern of going out and saying, okay, how do we get moz.de? How do we get moz.co.uk? How do we get, you know, moz.ru or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, that's that's a real pain too. Thankfully, Moz is an internet-centric business, and so .com can be our sort of global positioning. Uh, yeah. But when you are localizing, right? When you're trying to go very regional, and hey, we want to reach the the French market is a great example. 
very hard to target without localization, without a lot of localization. Yeah. Um, so just prepare for that. Yeah, good to know. So um, actually yesterday is uh, your anniversary of buying Moz.com, I noticed. Oh, um, oh, so you had seomoz.org started up in 2003. Yep. In 2013, 10 years later, um, and it makes sense that, you know, in the beginning you said you're, you know, telling debt collectors that you didn't know who Rand Fishkin was. Um, so you're, you're not going to have the money to buy a three letter.com, but years later you got to pay a price because everybody already knows that, that brand, that name. Um, so now Spark Toro, you started off differently, um, right yeah. from the, from the bat and you won't have to change. You you ever see you going up to spark.com or something or? I, I could I could potentially see it in a very long-term future. I, I like Spark Toro because um, it, it sort of fits all the rules. The thing that I don't love about spark.com is just that the word spark is already something that lots of people um, look for, know about. So, it's not a terrible. It's really pertaining to what you do. It's yeah, the, yeah. I, um, I, I really do like the uniqueness uh, of being able to say. So, for example, like one of one of my tips that I put, I think I think put this both in the book and in the blog post, Andrew, that you read, was I love a new. Oh no, we lost him again. Right. So when I started Spark Toro, if I typed Spark Toro. Sorry, my connection is getting unstable for some reason. You're back. Okay. Um, if I typed Spark Toro into Google, zero results. I mean, in quotes, right? Because Google would try and say like, oh, well, this page has yeah. spark plugs and a lawnmower from Toro. Okay. <laughs> right? But th that, was, uh, that was something that I really, really wanted because I knew that every single mention of Spark Toro would be about us. Uh, yeah, that's very that can be a beautiful thing for your brand. Yeah, yeah, very cool. All right, thanks. If if uh, if you could have bought this, this is seriously it. If you could have bought one domain name in you know 1991, what would you have bought? Ooh. On speculation or for business, either way, you get one domain. Or personal, the, if you have a passion, you're just dying to tell us all about. The field is open. You can have any domain in the world you want. What domain? Although, do you take? I know your top choice might be. Uh, uh, randontessas startup.com still pretty, pretty good domain um okay i think for personal passion um and and sort of like things that that i love and that i think could work uh pasta i might have bought pasta.com um or whiskey uh the the scottish correct spelling not the american with an e crap I wouldn't you've got the one with an e for sale right now oh do you really I mean, some bourbon lover out there is going to go crazy. Yeah. They're, going to have, they're going to have to feel different. Uh, let's see. If it was purely for financial purposes, um, I think I probably, I mean, it's salacious to say, but I probably would have bought something in the adult space because adult tends, to, that industry tends to be the like, that's where things like begin. Lots of things yeah. start there. Um, yeah. So I don't know, something like, porn.com would probably be a good investment in 1991 and it definitely would sell that. you you tell no one where you got your 10 million dollars from right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it i i don't 
I don't know if the sale price of porn.com was public or not. Porno.com sold last year for 8.8888 million. Wow. So you were pretty close with your 10 million number. Yeah. Uh, porn.com is worth considerably more than porno. Mm. And so I would imagine that was an eight digit sale. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's not a field that I have a lot of um, interest in, but, uh, uh, or even a lot of knowledge about, but I do recognize like a lot of technologists do that it tends to be, you know, that like the, a lot it's of perfect. first leaps happen mm -hmm. there. Online payments, uh, so, video streaming, yeah, uh, all of it, all of yeah, it. Come. Uh, online commerce, right? All, yeah. all this type of stuff. And so I think that that's probably a from a pure financial motivation. Like, okay, well, let me just noodle on this. All right, yeah, that probably, yeah. That probably makes sense. That's actually. So I just learned something new about porn today. Um, okay. I didn't realize that a lot of new technology happens there, and that actually makes sense because they're never going to run out of customers. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's so much money in the space that they can afford to really try new things. Oh, well, they used to. They used to. Now there's not a lot of money in the space. Now, now it's all free. So yeah, they pay anymore. They're yeah, I was reading an article about that. Like the, the shift from, you know, like this this huge industry sort of kind of overnight torn apart, and a lot of the people who um, who make their living in it having a really tough time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, right for disruption. There, there, there's I. There's something coming there. there. There's something gonna happen in that industry that will, yeah. that will create a new revolution. But anyways, we don't need to spend a lot I, of time. I hope, I hope the same is true in a lot of industries. Right? I mean, I, like, I worry significantly about news. Um, I think that's an industry where like, the dollars have all drained to Google and Facebook and so, someone needs to create something yep. that gives the news business a way to make revenue again so that we can get high quality news again. Um, I can't believe you said that. I wrote an article on Media Options site. I don't know if you remember, Drew, um, about when when um, Bezos bought. Um, what did he buy? The Washington. Oh, Washington Post. Post. Yeah. I was like, what's he gonna do? I mean, he. This is what he really specializes in. You buy something that's a uh, an industry that can't figure itself out, and he built Amazon. What do you have any idea of what you think or any insights of where you think? That might go now. I mean, really, so to speak, our interview is over, and now we're just shooting shit. But uh, no, I, so I, a few years ago, I would have guessed that he was going to uh, try and revolutionize the news subscription business. But the, what's happened so far seems very incremental to me. Yeah, um, I, I think he bought not, for personal reasons. I don't think that it was a big, broad, strategic business thing. Uh, I think it was really personal. Yeah, I, I, I have a sense, I think I agree with Andrew, I, I have the sense that Bezos is not applying the same mm -hmm. sorts of rigor and structure and approach to the Washington Post that he did to Amazon, which in some ways maybe is a good thing, right? Because the Washington Post yeah. has been uh, a breath of fresh air and they, they have produced some of the best reporting of the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, it hasn't had the distribution that you would hope no. it would have, but I, I, I don't know, hard to say. Okay. It's all because uh, Matt Mullenweg beat him to uh, WP.com. <laughs> Good on Matt. All right, um, well, you guys, this was, this was super fun and awesome. I apologize. Uh, I have a meeting yeah. about to start. So. Absolutely. No problem. Thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks we'll for let you, We'll let you know when it's uh, going to be published. We hope you can uh, share it with your audience, uh, as we will. And uh, maybe we can do it again sometime.
Thank awesome. you. Look yeah. forward to it. All right, Bye, take care. Thanks. Cheers.